What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, and on this episode, a young mother's mysterious death and her son's kidnapping blow open a decades-long mystery about the woman's true identity and the murderous federal fugitive at the center of it all. We'll discuss Girl in the Picture from Netflix. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, My Husband and Love of My Life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca, and soon to be author of The Final Curtain. So, mm. yeah, we just have to write that into the script. We just keep forgetting, don't we, Kevin? It's okay. Do we have it's a pub date? Soon. A pub date? We don't. It's going to be waiting on the actual date. Late September is uh, the target right now. Perfect. Just in time for my birthday trip at the end of October. Oh, goody. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin, this is obviously Monday's show for this week. And Mm -hmm. in the summer, of course, we become a weekly show instead of a twice weekly show. What is coming up next Monday? We're going to be talking about season nine of Breakdown from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. It's called Breakdown the Trump Grand Jury. That's right. And we are going to be talking about that in a week. You know who's on that? Who? Hi, I'm Bill Rankin. (laughs) He doesn't sound like that. He doesn't? He sounds very soothing to me. I will say, I do think that your memory of Bill Rankin's voice has definitely altered my perception of Bill Rankin's voice. He's lovely. His voice has either changed or you have just changed just his so voice. so optimistic. Our... Yes, it is. what he's talking about. That's true. Yeah. It, it is a little bit uplifting, isn't it? It is. It makes you feel good when the most heinous things are being discussed. <laughs> Hi. Do you know what impalement is? Do you know that we're about to lose our democracy? <laughs> I looked up this word. It's called exsanguination. <laughs> Defenestration. Defenestration. That has to do with a window. Comes from the French word, fenetra. Did you take French in high school? 
<laughs> Bill is the most wonderful person in the world, by the way. And he is so lovely. He is the best. In fact, when I was listening to the podcast, like there was an issue with the feed and I texted him about it and he was like, thank you so thank much. Thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> and he's just like the loveliest, best person. And he's such a good sport about your continuing to completely make fun of his voice and his accent and his kindness <laughs> on the show. It's making fun? No. I thought it was like a tribute. It's a tribute. It's a tribute. That's right. It's an honorific. It's an honorific. <laughs> I can't wait till someone makes a podcast and they're just do you every week. I cannot wait. I can't wait. I know. I don't know how to do Kevin Flynn, actually. Yeah. No one knows how to do Kevin Flynn except for Rebecca. Uh, well, except for I was going yeah, oh, to I, I, was gonna I say, choose not I, to, though. I opened the door to that one. Sorry. <laughs> you got defenestrated. Sorry, yeah. I mean, unless the power goes out tonight and there's nothing else to do. That's true. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Okay. Well, that has been uh, quite the lively chit chat section, but I think we should. We're, we're trying to like build ourselves up for the heartbreak that we're going to be talking yes, about. So th- our content tonight is going to be pretty dark and I think it's just time to dive into it. So Kevin, is it right with you if I, we drop that first clip right now? Do it. All right, let's get that done. Two or three guys are in a truck driving along the road and they see some kind of debris and it appears to be a young woman, a blonde haired woman. After Tanya Hughes is killed in a 1990 hit and run accident in Tulsa, her friends learned she'd been living under an assumed name. She left behind a young boy and her much older husband, Clarence, who tried to control every aspect of her life. He was arrested, posted bail, but then he failed to appear in court for trial. He had been on the run ever since that time in a fugitive for almost two decades. Investigators discover the couple had moved around the country under different names. And after Clarence kidnaps the boy from school and disappears, authorities hope to learn who each of these people really are. They thought this was his wife. They said they're married. And I'm like, no, that's her father. They're not married. And they said, no, honey, they're married. And I was like, no, that was her father. The Netflix documentary Girl in the Picture follows an investigation that looks backwards at the young woman's identity while looking forward to the hunt for the dangerous man at this family center. Abducted in plain sight director Sky Borgman presents a twisting tale of abuse, mystery, and evil. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Girl in the Picture. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. One disclosure, I'll note that I am the host of Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcast, but that has not influenced my review of this documentary. So Kevin, Sky Borgman, she knows how to pick them, right? Yeah, I mean, between this and Abducted in Plain Sight, uh, we don't have the same sort of dark absurdity of Abducted in Plain Sight, but this had nearly has as many twists and turns. And certainly for any story, that's what you want. You want some surprise, you want some tension, and then hopefully a dramatic resolution to the conflict. And we get that here. This is a, a story with a lot of plot twists crammed into an hour and 42 minutes. So she really has a good eye for what makes for a good true crime documentary. Now, I do want to talk about that because there are an absurd almost amount of plot twists mm-hmm. in this story. I was actually surprised, pleasantly so, Lara, 
that this was not like an eight part thing. Like many things on Netflix are that have like twists and turns. They'd stretch them out and it's like part one is this and then there's a cliffhanger and then part two is this. This was incredibly condensed and incredibly twisty and turny, right? Oh, absolutely. Like actually, I mean, this would have been a great Keith Morrison narration, crazy one hour dateline episode. And it wasn't that much longer in the form that it came out. It was a crazy story. There was twists and turns over and over again. There wasn't like, I I guess what I'm going to say, like a big message from it, but that was okay because it was just like everything that kept happening. I'm like, my mouth just kept dropping. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this is, wait, oh, this is happening. Oh, you've got to fucking be kidding me. Now this is happening. So I guess if there's any message in it, I think it's more like how like a man that is a little bit more forceful is able to sort of bend things to his direction. And, you know, in this case, there's a woman who's particularly marginalized is an understatement for her entire life, basically. And she's basically just falls off the radar. So there is that. But, you know, in terms of the length and the way that it was put together, I thought it was perfect in terms of the length. Like it it shouldn't have been any longer. I'm sure it could have been, but it was good at this length because it left you at the end being like, huh, well, that was interesting. And that was fucking disturbing. Yeah. I mean, it was lurid, right, Toby? I mean, this is a story that gets incredibly dark. But as Laura said, I'm not necessarily sure this is what Sky Borgman was going for or what the, you know, what the people in the, in the story were going for, because I think they were all thinking that they were talking about some larger thing besides this woman's life and death and her son's life and death. But this does not really present like a larger societal social justice story, which is kind of what we're accustomed to when we watch something like of high quality, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, I don't think I like this as much as you guys did. So when I think about what is the attraction to this, it's a combination of sort of this lurid material, right? There's a guy who basically is a pedophile who kidnaps this girl and from a young age is sexually assaulting her. But like having her sort of trying to pull this thing off where she's his daughter and then he marries her. And it, I mean, it's, it's just lured. There's that aspect to it. And then there's all these twists to it. So it's sort of like reading like a thriller or something. But to me, this kind of felt a little bit like sort of more pre serial, I guess, true crime where the thing's already happened, right? There's no question when she started doing the project about what happened, who did what to whom or whatever, she creates a suspense through her storytelling, which she, which she does well. But to me, I don't know. It just didn't seem very insightful, I guess is what I, I would say. And I think that's kind of what we're used to now is either things in which it's like the justice system didn't work or there's some kind of insight. Like even Abducted in Plain Sight, I think had a lot of interesting things about manipulation and how you can invade like a family dynamic and and use that against people. And the insular Mormon community again, like, you know, how you can go to Mexico and get married and nobody knows. Yeah. But, but this thing, you know, I don't, I I didn't feel like it had any of that. Yeah. I mean, maybe I don't understand the terms that you guys are using. I I don't know if every true crime documentary needs to also have a higher social message as opposed to being a good true crime documentary. But, you know, if that's 
what you expect, and I guess that's what you expect. No, see, I don't necessarily think it does either. Mm-hmm. I think it's just interesting because I think this is really good. I'll be completely honest with you, but it's also very traditional insofar as it's not doing the lifting that a lot of good true crime stuff is doing. Compared to something like Undercurrent, right? Which, you know, the Aaron Lee Carr story that we watched from HBO, right? Which, you know, it did this great victim criminal balancing act, right? Mm -hmm. But then it also did this whole thing about, like, being a woman in a man's world. And, you know, the sort of power dynamics of an entrepreneur who can, like, do what he wants. And it's sort of, she explored, like, bigger themes and like the victim perpetrator dynamic. And this was very much like more like a whodunit and who is he and how did this happen and who was she? Much more of a traditional mystery, Mm -hmm. which I think a true crime thing can be. I mean, it was a mystery at its heart, right, Lara? Yeah, I I agree, Rebecca, because I think this particular story, there's so much going on in the story itself that I think the story itself can stand on its own. And I think there are obviously issues where you could spin off and have like a bigger discussion about some of the issues that are involved in this. But on its own, this story is just so unbelievable that just telling the story is kind of a feat in yeah. a way. I, I don't feel like everything has to have some social message or whatever. I do kind of feel as though for it to be, in my mind, really interesting, there has to be something beyond just that. And then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And that's the end. To me, that's what this felt like was it was just like one thing after another. And yeah, there were, there were weird twists and turns and stuff, but at the end that was just really all that it was. It seemed like kind of like a timeline with interviews. Right. And to me, that's lacking something like I, I just feel like I, I need more. And even some of the pretty simple stuff we've seen, like the one about uh, the hostages in Germany, which, you know, was pretty bare bones. I felt like that had more to it than this did, even though that was like literally just the timeline. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30 pound sea bass and a 10 inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. All right, so Kevin, uh, is it time for the business section? Yeah, let's have some business instead. All right, I'm going to do your business. You're going to do your business. I'm going to do the business yes, right you are. now on the Crime Writers On After Show. It is the return of the Crime Writers On 
past episode quiz. Yes. Oh, God. My favorite game. Yeah, we're going to... I'm going to give the panelists the title of something that we've reviewed over the past six, seven years. Yep. I don't know. And just to see if you can remember what that show was. Right. And whether you were a thumbs up or thumbs down. Cool. I can't wait. It's my favorite game. Yeah. We also have a new episode of Married with Podcast that's out. We recorded this live with our patrons. Live. On Crowdcast. Well, you know, we had people with a big stage with people a, clapping. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. On a screen. We answered questions. It in- sounds the same as regular podcast, right? It does. It yeah. sounds just fine. <laughs> Quoted questions. We got a question from Sarah. Doesn't feel sexy in her bustier anymore mm. and wants to know what she can wear. Yeah. The answer is nothing. Oh, stop oh my. It. That's not the answer. Wow. I, next sec- that's sexy, right, Laura? Uh, well, it depends. I mean, I've been answer- free the nipple. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is. It depends. The answer is wear whatever she the wearing fuck depends, she wants. Toby, no. Yeah. That wasn't the answer we gave. But yeah, definitely some something that she can wear to feel sexy. It's again. a very sex positive conversation. Speaking of sex positive, Toby Ball. Uh, <laughs> Is uh, the featured guest on the latest episode of Janet Varney's The JV Club. With Janet Varney. With Janet Varney. Yay! And this is the latest uh, Boys of Summer. You see, if you know Janet's uh, podcast, she interviews women throughout the year about their times in high school yep. and their, their awkward stages and whatnot. Both you and Laura have been on it. But in the summertime, she has male guests, and I was on last year. And this year, rounding out the the panel is Toby Ball. She has the complete set now. She has the complete set. And if you know one thing about the Boys of Summer issues is that at the end... All the guys have to sing yep. Boys of Summer. By Don Henley, one of my all-time favorite songs. Yes, including Toby Ball. I heard it. It was amazing. Toby had to sing. It was, Laura, would you like yeah. to hear it? Oh, would I We've ever. Got it. All right. got it queued up. There's a little bit of, little bit of William Shatner. Okay, here it comes. <gasps> Can you sing any of it? Can I sing any of it? Or what you, or how many of it, what you, what you... Think of I can do like a spoken word summer. version of it. Yeah, uh, that's all I need. That's beautiful. See, uh, out on the road today, I saw a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac. <laughs> voice inside my <laughs> voice inside my head said, "Don't look back. You can never look back." <laughs> I thought I that's is good. it. I thought yeah, I knew yeah. what love was. What yeah, did I know? I thought I knew yep. what love was. What did I know? That's I think that's as far as I get. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Toby. Toby. Uh, oh my goodness. By the way, that song is a banger. It is a 10 out of 10 oh God, song. Come on. It, Toby, I, we're not arguing about this. That song is a banger. Good Lord. Yeah. And, but, 10 out of 10. But I want to talk about, I have more pressing questions. So I saw the picture when yeah. I saw on Twitter that Toby was on this. And there was this picture of to- little Toby. Young Toby. Right. Like, I wouldn't call him Teenage little Toby. Toby. I wouldn't Young call him Toby. Toby. He looks very tall. And like his Hobart sweatshirt. But I want to know the cat on his shoulder. Toby? Please tell. I'm not sure what cat that was. We had uh, some kittens one summer, and that might have been one of the kittens. I don't know. I'll have to ask my mom. Anybody else in my family would be able to identify it. But yeah, I don't know why I was getting a picture taken with a kitten sitting on my shoulder outside in our backyard. You're like, but you knew someday you'd be on a podcast. It's like you were exactly. trying, like you were trying to escape was, like the young incels of America Club by like taking a picture with something sensitive on your shoulder. Yeah, I thought I looked like a pirate or something. <laughs> I just was but, like, uh, hey, look, it was a calico. Those are sassy cats. A cross too. sweatshirt. It was very masculine. I loved it. I yeah. loved everything about it. There's a lot going on in that picture. All right, yeah, everyone has to go listen to that. It's on all of the podcast apps. 
All right, so Kevin, I know we need to wrap this business section up. Uh, before we do, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Yolanda Sanchez Garcia and Kayleen Brown. Bless you. Bless you, Yolanda and Kayleen. And thank you for listening to us on Patreon. Thank you for supporting the podcast. And for those of you who don't go to our Patreon or support us there, I encourage you to. But everyone anyway, thanks for listening. And thus ends... Thus ends the business section. The business section. All right, so I do want to talk about the case and the story. And at the beginning of the documentary, we're introduced to Tanya, our victim. But for most of her life in the timeline that's presented, she's known as Sharon by a lot of the people that are interviewed. So I'm going to refer to her as Sharon for the purposes of this conversation. One of the things I was really surprised by, Kevin, was the personal success that Sharon had in high school while she was living with a man who we later find out spoiler alert, kidnapped her as a baby and basically kept her as a indentured sex slave in servitude to him in a variety of ways as a prisoner, like in his home for her entire young life, that she was able to go to high school, that she was able to be successful, that she was able to get a full scholarship, went to Georgia Tech, and that she like seemingly almost made it out, although I question whether or not he actually ultimately would have let her make it out. And I remember the phone call when she called and she's screaming on the phone. I did it. I got in. I got accepted to Georgia Tech and I got a full scholarship and I'm going to be in the aerospace engineering department. She was so excited. It was the best day of her life. Really, like her ability to function at that level was very surprising to me. Like, what did you think about her and just the way she was portrayed? Well, I'll tell you, the high school thing, I don't know this. But I wouldn't be surprised if she excelled at high school because it was a place separate from the home and that she could really thrive there because her father, husband, kidnapper, what is called, I guess, Franklin, that he wasn't there. Right. And so she could interact with people her age and she took that opportunity that was given to her so that she could do well. And, you know, she did well with her studies. And of course, you know, anything that seemed like it would be a positive would eventually be turned into a negative. She was never able to do anything with that scholarship. We remember that she also got pregnant and had a baby that she gave up. We meet her at the end of the documentary, Megan. So that also kind of derailed the path that she was on. And then next thing you know, she's an exotic dancer, you know, being essentially pimped out by Franklin. Yeah. And has apparently like two more kids. I mean, they say at one point she was pregnant three times. So it's sort of a mystery what happens with, you know, who the parents are of these kids and what happens to them. But they at one point in the documentary, they do say she was pregnant three times. And I and it's just very unclear. There's a lot of gaps still in this woman's life. Like, who's Michael's father? Who's Megan's father? Those are real mysteries that still seem to be like unsolved. Right, Laura? Oh, yeah. And that was the hard part about this is that there was so much catch up when, you know, when she's killed and she's found, you know, basically run over in sort of extremely similar circumstances from what she was told happened to her own mother, which, again, was like kind of weird. But that part never really got super fleshed out. But I mean, that's the whole thing about this is that this is such a crazy story. And the people that actually know what happened, one is dead and one isn't talking. Hmm. So it's like piecing it together as best you can through the witnesses, through the police. But at the same time, I guess I left feeling like 
do we really know everything that happened? Because, I mean, that guy, and we'll get into him. I, I just call him the fuck that guy guy that I hate so much. But, like, I just want to punch him in the face. But he wasn't going to tell the truth hmm. about what happened. Or if he did, it was going to be his own little version of the truth. So there are questions. And that was like, you know, we find out, okay, here's this daughter. And, okay, here's Michael. And we don't know what happened to him. And, and oh, wait, she was also pregnant in high school at one point, wasn't she? Yep. But going back to what you said, Rebecca, before was like, I mean, I guess what you were asking Kevin about, I think that was the thing that was like kind of most astonishing to me was that when you hear about all this horror in high school, when you have her friend, Jenny, who remembers like the one time she spent the night at her house and her parents wouldn't let her go. But one time she went and that's the time that like he basically raped her in the same room that she was in. And we didn't talk after that. He got up and he left. And I was just like this. But the next morning, she came over and she gave me a big hug. And she said, Daddy's just like that. And then you hear how accomplished Sharon at that time was and how kind she was to that guy who was like kind of like the art geek guy. It's kind of amazing. I mean, just when you when you think about what she had been through, that she was still able to be a decent person. Yeah. But also to be like really freaking smart. I mean... That was like a survivor right there. Did you notice, Toby, the thing you were just talking about, that there are so many little things that like, it's almost like the movie is so efficient that there are so many things that sort of dropped. And I guess the answers are just unknown. So like, why include it and explore it if you don't know, like the third child. But one of the things, and I actually do know that there is a story here because I listened to part of the companion podcast where they explored a little bit more. But one of the details that gets dropped in near the end is that that woman who was friends with Sharon at one of the uh, clubs where she worked mentions briefly at the very end that she had also been kidnapped when she was a child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wild. Like, that is true, by and the way. And my mom did everything she possibly could to find me, whereas Sharon's mom was just like, you know, whatever. I'm actually very angry at Sharon's mom. I don't believe for one second that because this was back in the day that she couldn't find her child. I was taken in 1976, and for almost five years, my mom contacted everyone. That woman was legit an abduction victim, like a, a, a real yeah. like, like face in the back of the milk carton, like abduction victim who was then reunited. Like the intersections with people in this story are bananas. I agree that's a crazy story that, you know, just gets tied into an, a larger crazy story, but she couldn't have been comfortable the way she was sitting on that that duvet, right? I mean, she was she was like twisted. Did you notice that? Yeah. And then the other exotic dancer, did you notice that in the middle of the interview, she went from having black lipstick to red lipstick? It was like there was a little bit of a, black. There was a little interview change. There time might have been a little continuity thing yeah. there. But. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and they had that thing, Toby, where like, there is that thing where like people are sitting and like, kind of strange yeah. locations the one woman like in the baseball dugout <laughs> the foster parents their big loungers that one guy was in the cafe and they actually like had somebody in the cafe to serve him coffee <laughs> in this empty cafe i thought that was like it's a good touch i actually I, I did like the fbi agent in the empty cafe i actually that was, yeah. I actually liked that the one that i can't get behind is like when we finally find out the biological parents and we have this like mother we, so we have the father who's like in his like sweater vest looking all official. And then we have this like mother who looks like kind of decrepit in her wheelchair in like a cement warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What was that about? 
And no one's asking why why the dad. Like, why is anybody saying, where was the dad in all this? Why wasn't he looking he for He explained. It? Yeah? Well, he, he explained in the thing. You yeah. know, and if it's an answer, it's, you'd accept or not. Yeah. But... yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so now let's talk about our perpetrator, Franklin Delano Floyd slash Clarence Hughes slash all the other names that he went by. Uh, He's a real chameleon. Obviously, this is somebody who's done this apparently a lot, changes identity a bunch of times. He pretends to be a dad. He pretends to be a husband, apparently a a serial kidnapper. Laura, when you sort of start to understand the breadth of this guy's life and the crimes that he's committed, it really is like unraveling a giant ball of scummy yarn, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think that was, you know, every time you get another piece of this puzzle where you think you know what's happening and then they like peel it back, they're like, surprise, something else. This guy, Clarence, or as I just called him, fuck that guy in my notes, like fuck that guy, whatever his real name is, abuser, kidnapper, a-hole. You really get a sense from watching this and seeing how he, I mean, the fact that for years he had this girl that he kidnapped you know, initially you think, okay, maybe it's like one of those things where like we've watched other things where they're like, oh, I wanted a kid. And so I like kidnapped. No, he wanted a sex slave. But then you hear about the one when she is then killed. And Michael, who was the child who we still don't know whose father Michael is, but Michael was the son of Sharon. And, you know, Michael's with the foster parents. And they're talking about this just horribly sad situation that they sort of inherit with this boy who, when they get him, they're like, we had to get him off the Pepsi because he was like a toddler with Pepsi in a bottle. And he, and when they tried to get him off the Pepsi, he was like banging his head on tables and just. He liked the caffeine. I mean, I can't deny that I don't love a little caffeine, but that was, that really was illuminating. But then, so you hear the story of this, this kid. And, and so I'm, I'm going back to fuck that guy. And, and this kid, Michael, who's clearly had a pretty traumatic just there's been a lot of things going on in his early childhood and his toddler dumb. And then when fuck that guy goes into the school and like kidnaps this boy in the principal at gunpoint and then like duct tapes him to a tree. I mean, this guy is just so out of bounds. And when they finally get him, you know, they have him on that perp walk and he's like, fuck you, fuck you, Oklahoma, fuck you all. And I'm just like, fuck you a-hole. But I mean, I think what came through to me was the level of this guy's just total detachment from decent behavior at a time where he was able to carry this out and perpetrate this for so long before he even got caught was pretty amazing. Yeah. And as Kevin pointed out, Toby, in one of his notes, this is a guy who had kidnapped multiple people, including the woman who gave birth to this kid that he would later kidnap. But then he went on TV in the middle and claimed that the state is keeping him from his, quote, son, as if he's like a stand up dad who's just been like wronged in like a bad custody deal. My son is punished for wanting to see his dad locked in his room and his toys are taken away. And he told he's told that his dad's a mean man. We cannot allow removal of child from a non-proven abusive home due to a wet diaper or perceived lack of affection, which I was unable to give my son during a period of weak time that my wife died tragically. I mean, it's it's gall. Yeah, it is. And, and you wonder how much of it is like brazenness and how much of it is just 
disordered thinking. You do get a little bit towards the end about what his background is, which is also horrific, which I guess is not too surprising given the actions he takes later. You don't expect him to have, you know, a happy childhood or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, when I kind of came away thinking about all this, I mean, it's not like it was hard. Like, it seemed like people kind of knew that he was doing messed up stuff and nobody was really either going to the police about it or people weren't looking too hard for him. And it seems like, you know, he was living on the margins enough that he could go and get away with all this stuff and do simple things like changing his name. I mean, he wasn't really changing his appearance. Right. He wasn't changing her appearance. I mean, they were just kind of like, they would go from place to place with just the meagerest of changes to themselves and there didn't seem to be any suspicion that would follow them. The suspicion would be generated when they showed up and people were like, okay, this couple, there's something going on here. Uh, and that seemed to happen everywhere she went is that people kind of understood that that was a toxic relationship to some degree. And I think some people suspected like the, the woman who ran the club in Florida, you know, she's trying to keep one of the dancers away from them. She's yep. like, this is trouble for you. And it ended up getting her killed. Yeah. She ended up being murdered. And that was, Again, yep. something that is like a kind of a detail in the film, but this is somebody who was also murdered by this man. Um, Kevin, can we just talk very briefly about the investigators here? We have the older uh, cop, FBI agent, who always wanted to solve this and like retired and then likes wasn't his able coffee. to. Yes. yes, yes. Likes his coffee. And then we are introduced to these younger agents later who were like twins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're both in these blue shirts. Did you guys they... notice they walk in sync, they talk in sync, they look at each other like they're in love when they're recounting I, the story? I literally, I missed the very beginning, like I I don't know if like I'd gotten an email or something when they were first introduced and then when I saw them walking across the parking lot, I was like could this possibly be brothers who are also lawmakers <laughs> investigating the same case? Um, They're partners for life, man. What a, yeah. what a bromance in the middle of this horrible when they, thing. When they, yeah. when they walked, their arms were literally in sync. Yeah. When they sat together, it was almost like they crossed their legs at the same time. I bet the night before the interview, they called each other and said, well, what are you wearing? <laughs> oh my God, wear you my almost just sounded like Bill Rankin. Hi. I mean, they both, they both look like guys who are like, all county baseball players, yeah. who, you know, joined the FBI. I mean, they they looked like they're off their fit. They look like athletes. Yes. And- yeah, but that one Scott Lobb, he was the one who basically got it out of Franklin Delano asshole that uh, <laughs> that uh, you know that he he killed Michael the son and not his son, but you know, uh, and I don't want to say solved that part of the mystery, but. You know, maybe solved it because they were not actually able to find the body. They were not able to find the body. But, you know, after 23 years, it's good to sort of, you know, complete one part of the investigation that, you know, this guy very well still could take to his grave more answers about the things that uh, he did over the years. We should also say he's able to get her name. Finally, Suzanne Savegas. He was the one who was able to get him to say the name just by pushing the right buttons. Right. Yep. yep. Yeah, uh, you can talk about, but we talk about bad interrogators a lot on this show. It seems like that guy actually did a pretty decent job, maybe just by hitting the table a little bit. I mean, that's how he described it anyway. He slammed the table, slamming the table as his partner lovingly looked on as he described it. <laughs> I love that. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. 
What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Girl in the Picture? It is a one-part documentary on Netflix. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Girl in the Picture? Um, So this definitely made me enraged watching it. It was definitely one of those. There were parts where I was like feeling kind of like, uh, as I was watching it because details came out that were pretty difficult to hear. But at the same time, this is just a crazy story. And this isn't a long documentary. This is a short documentary. This isn't something that's going to get into some big message or some big reveal. It, well, I shouldn't say reveal because it does. But it's it's just this story is so bonkers in terms of everything that happens. And it's told in a way that despite the fact that, like I said, this could be a one-hour dateline. But I think what this does really well is that it does keep the victims and their families at the forefront. It does give the people, despite the guy that I call fuck that guy, it does keep the people that were close to the victims in this case out there able to remember them and talk about them. And also the police and the law enforcement and the agents that were involved in bringing this case to something of a conclusion. It's just crazy. So as I was first watching it, I was like, uh, just when it can't get more disturbing, it does. And then when I realized that it was the same director as Abducted in Plain Sight, I'm like, oh, so if you liked Abducted in Plain Sight, you will like this. Toby Ball, girl in the picture, thumbs up or thumbs down? I was trying to figure out like how I wanted to talk about this because, you know, I, I'm going to say I'm, I'm, a, I'm a thumb sideways. And I think Laura kind of hit it on the head uh, in a way I hadn't been thinking about it, which is like this kind of feels like a high end dateline piece. The story is is legitimately nuts, but it just feels like it's just surface level stuff. Right. And maybe that's enough. But for me, it just this sort of you know, one thing after another, this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. How crazy is this? How crazy is that? You know, these are real people, but a lot of them sort of seem from sort of central casting from what we're used to seeing in uh, true crime things like the, the retired uh, FBI guy with the case that he couldn't close before he retired. There's like a citizen sleuth type of guy who uh, is working on it. So, yeah, I mean, I just kind of, it's it's really well done. The pacing is perfect. The craft of like putting it together is really good. But again, the story is just super, super surface. I feel like you've got plenty of twists and turns. It wasn't enough for me. So I, I guess I'm I'm a thumb sideways. Kevin Flynn. 
I'm going thumbs up. I think that this was a story that the emotions of it kept changing. It starts off sort of as this fascinating mystery, and then it goes back and forth from enraging to heartbreaking, and then it finally ends with something that's a bit more melancholy about the survivors. And I think people mentioned this before. This could have been the kind of thing that a streaming service or something like HBO might insist, hey, we should spread this out into six or eight episodes because there's a lot there. But I think it was much smarter to keep it compact. The economy of it made it from going boom to the next plot twist to the next one. It's a really fascinating case and you know one that goes backwards the same time as it's, as it's going forwards in these timelines. It's classic true crime. So I'm going thumbs up. I'm going thumbs up, too. It's a mystery, right? And um, I will say Sky Borgman did one thing that is astonishing to me. This was one of the most complicated stories we've ever looked at on this show. When you actually are describing what happened in terms of timing, names, places, dates, and there's all these missing pieces Like, there's a lot we still don't know. It's like they were there, they were there, they were there, they were there. She was this, she was this, he was this, he was this. And By the way, try to write a spoiler-free intro to this review. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, by the way, the the story also starts right in the middle, right? And I will say, just the efficiency of the filmmaking in unraveling that thread, I did not for a minute in this documentary— Like, I was not for a minute like, wait, wait, what? What's going on? I've lost track of this. And I'm a person who loses track of stuff all the time when I'm watching one of these things. Like, wait, who is that again? Who is that guy? What what are you talking about? This was just so well done and so well made that it kind of elevated what could have been something that was sort of cheesy. I just think it was like, yeah, classic true crime, old school true crime, but like really well done. And then for that reason, I have to give it a thumbs up because um, for lack of a better word, of course, it's entertaining insofar as that like I was riveted while watching it because I had like holy shit moments the entire way through and it was just really, really, really well made classic true crime with a really couple of really great mysteries at its heart. So yeah, thumbs up for me for Girl in the Picture. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. The week. Really glad you picked this one, Kevin. A seven-year-old chess player is recovering after getting his finger broken by a robot. The child was in Moscow playing against a computer with an articulating arm. The kid had just moved a piece when the robot's pinchers clamped down and broke the boy's finger. As you'd expect, anytime there's an accident involving heavy machinery and child labor, Those in charge blamed the child. (laughs) They say he didn't wait the requisite one Mississippi to Mississippi before moving Rook to D9. They stressed the robot had played dozens of matches without incident. The boy got a splint and a valuable lesson on the dangers of Skynet. Meantime, the robot will go back to the factory where the other robots keep calling him a nerd. So, panel, chess is off limits to him. So what other game should this robot take up? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, I'm going to go with croquet. (laughs) (laughs) I was originally I was thinking connect four, but I was like croquet. I feel like is a little slower paced. So even if you don't count one Mississippi to Mississippi, you're probably not going to be in the way of the robot. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Toby? What other game should this robot take up? 
Uh, 52 pickup. <laughs> mm. Kevin, what do you think? Uh, rock, paper, scissors. Oh, man. He's always scissors. <laughs> I have one. What? One, two, three, four. I declare a thumb war. Ah, yes. <laughs> oh. All right, that's going to do. But before we go, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat of the week this week. We have some kittens of the week this week that come to us from Irene in Miami. Kittens of the Week rescued during a recent trap neuter release project in Miami. They spayed and neutered over 20 cats and rescued these three kittens. And I'll tell you the story on the kittens. So first of all, Irene is a huge fan. She's been listening to us for a long time. Right. And these kittens um, were living in a filthy condition. They were living under a shed. And she sent a picture. They trapped 20 cats, had them spayed, neutered, vaccinated, released. The kittens are currently in a foster home, being socialized. They will not have a chance for a much better life. And their names are Basil, Pepper, and Ginger. Nice. Mm. Not Toby, Rebecca, and, and Laura? No? No. So <laughs> if they were Toby, Rebecca, and Laura, I might go down to Miami to adopt them. Yeah. But alas, wrong names. All Sorry. right. Well, Laura Bricker, if folks want to submit their kittens, puppies, emus, llamas, whatever kind of animal they would like to be pet or cat of the week, how can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at Lara Bricker on Twitter, and I'll say the only animal I don't want to see is frogs and toads because my cats have been bringing them in from the catio nonstop this summer. I've had enough frogs and toads, so we'll not be accepting Well, of course, you can also email them to us at crimewriterson at gmail.com. Not the frogs and toads. No, your pets. All right, Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on Twitter. How can they find you? Uh, they can find me at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, what about you? How can you be found on the Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at Crime Writers On. And please join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to Facebook and look for us and then hit join the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the crime writers on after show married with podcast, Lara Bricker's leave it to Bricker podcast and Toby balls, deep dive book club podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very astute Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we also change our lipstick colors in the middle of our interviews. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. I thought you guys were going to watch the uh, Victoria's Secret one. That's what I was watching the other day. Oh, no. We watched the Woodstock one. I'm telling you. I haven't seen that much boobs and peen in a long time. Laura, would you be thumbs up or thumbs down for uh, the Victoria's Secret one? Um, Actually, it's pretty interesting because it's got that weirdo guy that Jeffrey Epstein was friends with. Oh, yeah. uh, Les Wexner. Yeah. So it's interesting, but it's very similar to everything a lot of shows we've watched snap about that. review at this gun in your head thumbs snap up thumbs review at this thing um, it shows you how the brand took off it shows you what was really happening it made me order a hundred dollars of stuff from the website because <laughs> they were having a sale nice uh-huh. and um, now I have some new bras and panties the review thumbs up or thumbs down thumbs up you're wrong thumbs down okay <laughs> <laughs> Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150. 
with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions.